0: Nearly all the other bishops did. It's a uh, never trust the bishops. If you judge by my country, only one poor old man died for the faith. All the others went on for ever, any, ever so many years. The whole hierarchy went wrong. Nearly all the priests went wrong. They all signed the oath, and Thomas More watched them all doing it. And uh, but only the Carthusians and just a handful of people, and of course, the most amazing, the key laymen in the country, just like Chesterton would have done the same. So Moore came to the question of the church. And this is where I feel that you and I have a tremendous duty towards the end of the retreat, because it's the same today. You've got these two battling... You've always got an up-and-coming party. Moore belonged to it in his day. Cardinal Newman belonged to it in his day. The up-and-coming bright young things who think they're going to be able to push out the old buffers. And they are old buffers, myself included, so don't worry about that. But the odd thing is, Moore, and they wrote anti-clerical poems, and they, oh yes, they were terrible critics of the church. Some of Moore's letters are hair-raising. And he wrote some wonderful poems about uh, this Bishop Posthumus, who he said was the most remarkable bishop in England at the time. He said, because we know all the bishops are picked at random, we don't know why they are, but he was obviously specially picked because he's the worst bishop England's ever had. (laughs) He saw how the old world and the old theology and the people learning by heart like the Pharisees, he saw all that was wrong in the old church. He loved it, it had been part of his life, but he was a revolutionary, as was Erasmus. But then the sudden a terrible thing happened that where you were trying to improve your country from within by playing a part all of a sudden for total other reasons the constitution was suddenly changed and the king with no such backing suddenly decided by force it was by force. So Moore died for the pope and what so splendid is I'm so glad he had all the worst popes the churches ever had were reigning during his time. Dear Alexander VI Thomas More writes to him as our dear Holy Father, the Pope. Well, he was one of the biggest rogues ever. Indulgences were being sold and God knows what else. I think, in selling indulgences, has done the world a lot of good. He built some pieces, which has given all the tourists a tremendous thing for several centuries. It was worth a few ducats. But the odd thing is that it came down eventually to the church. And that's why, for you and me, if you're going to follow more, You've really got to say, well, I'm going to die only on the essentials. The essential is that for Christians, and certainly for Catholics, our Lord only founded one church. That's the first thing. And we all know that in the ecumenical world, that nobody, the Church of England, the wonderful Methodists I've known, none of them are happy. They'd, we'd all love to be one. But no, nobody's willing to go any further accepting more, more eventually, right at the end of all these sort of wonderful stories and funny jokes and all that, he eventually came down to the fact that our Lord put St. Peter in charge of the church. And he had every reason to dislike many of the popes, and he had a lot of reasons to, uh, and gives lists of all sorts of uh, blasphemies and things that ought to be changed. He wasn't fooled, but nevertheless he did believe that the whole of the Europe was once, the whole of the world, was once one faith. It's marvelous how it survived. Catholics from Greece, the Greek Church, and the Roman Church, all over the world. And it was smashed up by Henry VIII and the Reformation, and the smash has gone on right down to today. So when poor Moore died, he had a battle on that if he'd, only they'd won it, if only the, those three leaders could have been persuaded we might never have the tragedies we've got today where we're all split up. The second point that Moore made following Augustine, it's totally clear, is uh, that the Bible by itself is not sufficient in the Church, that our Lord never meant it to be. The Church ran for nearly 300 years without the Bible. Dr. William Barclay, that wonderful Presbyterian who died in Glasgow last year, a wonderful writer I've ever known, he had the courage to say that. Remember, the church founded the Bible, the Bible didn't found the church. For Moore, that was a total lie when Tyndall and others produced versions of the Bible as though this was the ultimate. The ultimate of the Bible without St. Peter is that you get one fraction, then another faction, another faction, everybody interprets the text for themselves. That's why Moore, in all his soliloquies and uh, dialogues to the end of his life with Tyndall, they weren't unkind, they just simply said that you've changed the Bible in these six words. Those six words, you're not any longer in union with the Church. Ridley says, quite rightly, that Moore was really, in a strange way, the patron saint of the common market. And it's a very good thing, because in the old days, St. Anselm from Sicily could be Archbishop of Canterbury. And St. Anthony of Padua from Portugal could be, make his name in Italy. And they all talked the same language. It was, it was a, a visible church. It was smashed, and now we can't put it together again. But I would have said in my own life now, what I go on with more is, the only essential thing is the Pope. Not this Pope. We were very lucky to have this Pope, I feel. Uh, but what a wonderful man he is. But it's not that, but our Lord founded a church with a, a leader who would direct us so that then we would be free, we would have an arbitrator. But that means we've got to keep only to the Pope because the rows today in the Church are on things that the Holy Father himself never said anything. We're all fighting today, people don't like changes in the liturgy, they don't like the change in Latin, all on the right side, they loathe that. The people on the other side want to say mayor sitting down with a tulip in their hands or something. <laughs> Nonsense. And what do you say to them all? Go ahead, my darlings, but I'm not doing it with you. I'll wait till the Pope tells me. I still wear my Roman collar and I let it out for advertising, if you like. There's good space there. But as long as... While the Pope says, dress like, a, like that, I'll dress like that. Not because the Pope's a genius, but because... This is what Moore died for, obedience to the church, not to factions in the church. That's why I never come to healing services. I don't believe in them. I'm sure they've done you all good. You look frightfully well, all of you. And I'm not anti them, and I don't, I'm don't what music. They play at them. But for me, and I tr- hope Thomas Moore would be the same, <laughs> I, no, I'll keep to what the church teaches. All the others, if the church allows a the thing, then let people do it. Don't stop them. I'm not all anti-charismatic things. I'd be a hypocrite if I said I was slain in the spirits. I once did go to a charismatic meeting in Boston. That's a bad place to go to. And there were about 6,000 people all shouting hallelujah. And a young priest suddenly got up and started telling us all the faults he'd committed in his early life. In a pulpit. Interesting it was to hear, too. (laughs) But I got in a panic because I thought the Holy Ghost may come around this way, so I put a hang <laughs> I stuffed my handkerchief in my mouth. Now, I make, I'm fooling. I, I, can't, I wouldn't dare say charismatic are wrong or the healing's wrong. All I know is that for me, I don't want to be either right or left. I want to be where the Pope is. I want to have the Pope's advice or the Church's advice on what Scripture means. Because otherwise I'm going to listen to much less devoted people. So Thomas More with those two, and then again this tremendous thing, the communion of saints, which is going to give us our indulgence at the end of the retreat. The doctrine of our church is, by the communion of saints I mean that all the members of the church on earth, in heaven and in purgatory, are in communion with each other as having one body in Jesus Christ. We're all one. And the plenary indulgence that the Pope gives after a retreat It's because St. Thomas More and myself and you belong to the same family, and Mother Seton, and the dead. Thomas More in Utopia, he had a marvelous passage where the Utopians believed in purgatory, and rightly believed that when a man's dead, he's much freer than when he was encased in a body, and that the people of the next world, when we talk about them, they know. They don't drop their friends because they're dead. That the end of the world is not just sand's teeth, sands eyes, as a whole eternity. These were the basic things, our Lord being a true God and true man, founding a visible church that we could all see, and we obeying the church. Not the lunatics in the church, otherwise you've had it. In England the other day, there's one old lady who doesn't like shaking hands at the Agnes Day. That offends her enormously. She goes on Sunday she goes into a side aisle behind a pillar so as to dodge all the other filthy people near her. But there's another worse old lady who knows she does that and is determined to shake hands with her whatever happens. <laughs> Do you know, in Thomas Moore one letter, he's got the very same thing. In the old days, they had a thing called the Pax, which they kissed at the Agnes Day, and they had rows about it then. All those things are frivolous. The old world, I find, I how I rejoice, that the church has kept, or tried to keep up with the times, has made things freer. So that, for example, now we can, don't have to fast to go to communion. Why should we all be angry about that? Now in England we're allowed to eat meat on a, on a Wednesday or Friday, which you're not. So you've got to go on being a bit old-fashioned. Personally, I prefer fish, so for me it suits me whatever the law is. But all these rules, they're all trivial. If the Pope says fast, I'll fast. If he doesn't, if the Catholic paper says it, then I won't fast. My dear mother talked as though the Catholic papers were all infallible. Anything she saw, she did. But no, I think I've got to be balanced. Do you know, in the middle of the persecution, when the priests were all in hiding, I'm glad you heard my tape on the mole. I've not heard it yet. About these wonderful hiding holes. He was a wonderful man, that. But in the middle of the persecution, one old priest went bald with all the Persevans trying to catch him he wrote to the provincial saying could he get a wig and the provincial uh, said well I'll write to Rome and and get leave and then the general of the Jesuits wrote back people risking their lives carrying the letter to say you can get a wig but I can't give you leave to wear it after the Sanctus (laughs) (laughs) I mean honestly when you we look back to the old church and we've had it again we people didn't study really. They just learned by heart in exams. Seminaries got... And then more and people saw that. Then you've got the other extreme people who always want to shoot over the line. And it's part of being young. So I can't help it if people want to do that. I had I, Alexandria, Louisiana. I used to go there. The children's retreat 10 years ago began at 2 in the morning. God knows what this was in aid of and they all sat on the floor and the priests lay down and they had mass and then after that they were given bits of wire and they went out into the woods and bent it to show whether they were getting better or worse. God knows what their parents were paying for, it, but this was all regarded as being with it. You meet all sorts of loonies and I've got lots of priests and people, some of the priests have now left the church and are still sending the books which they don't believe in themselves. That's an awkward moment. No, Thomas More was quite clear in his own mind and that the the key to everything is the authority of the church. He died for that. He could have escaped and he didn't. So he had that very painful farewell with his children. Much worse than when he was beheaded was when he said goodbye to Chelsea. He didn't say goodbye to them. He went to Mass in the little church as he'd put the lady altar up and then for the first time he wouldn't shake hands with them or anything. He got in his boat and rowed off to Nambeth. They came to see him the day before he died on Tower Hill, but he couldn't face saying goodbye to them. And he was terrified, and when you read the whole of that wonderful book of the Dialogue of Comfort, you'll see his own fear right from the early childhood and his fear of offending God and God telling him to go on and go on until the scaffold. And therefore, I find it a marvelous thing that he died of making a joke the only man in history, I should think, who'd have the neck and the nerve to make a joke at the last moment. It's almost certain he did say these words, or some of them, because the man who reports it was the under-sheriff who hated more and was on the scaffold. And this is what Hall wrote. Uh, He said, Even when he should lay down his head on the block, He, having a great grey beard, sticked out his beard and said to the hangman, I pray you, let me lay my beard over the block lest you should cut it. That's the official thing that, that we go. And Cressica Moore, Moore's descendant, very close, grandson, added to it, for this has done no treason. Somebody must have ever heard that, so, more certainly, at the last minute, when the axe was right up in the air, where you or I don't know what i would be doing at that stage, terrible, the very end of his, all his fears vanished. And he said, I don't want you to cut my beard. And he put it over the block, and seems, seems to have whispered, so somebody heard, for this has not committed treason. It's very important to end on that note for our retreat.